Tomorrow will be Web3. We're not there yet. But Web3 is where you can now own your data. Now you can read, you can write, and you can own it. And there's a lot of attributes that really define what Web3 is. But the reality is Web1 is just iterations of what the internet is and how we move information, who owns it, and who is able to monetize it. And what I'm excited about Web3 is the fact that we, the people, get to be a part of what Web3 is and we get to own our data, our content, and monetize it. The web right now, the internet is super busy, super noisy, and it gets to get mm-hmm. more organized and smarter. You are now listening to the Next Iteration Podcast with your hosts Fuad and Damien. If you like the episode, follow us on Spotify and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Our website was built by Face Solutions, logo designed by Charmeni, and music by Wonderly Music. We hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, and welcome back to the Next Iteration Podcast. We're really excited about today's guest. Uh, we have Florcy here. Florcy is a serial entrepreneur, creative business strategist, and speaker. She's kind of an expert in all things NFT, metaverse, and the Web3 space at large. And we're really excited to pick our brains on that. But on top of that, she's also held leadership roles at big tech companies, Netflix and Dell. And she's also an angel investor with some really cool names, notably Brex on her portfolio list. So really excited to talk to you about sort of um, your uh, thoughts on the NFT and metaverse space, especially with the bear market coming up uh, and sort of your previous experiences and your story and your NFT project Spooky Fresh. So yeah, without further ado, let's get started. Happy to be here. Thank you for the opportunity. So yeah, let's jump into it. It's uh, truly our pleasure, Florcy and Fuad uh, and I are super excited to get back into this whole podcasting thing. We took a, a bit of a break. Um, things have been busy for us recently, but you know there have been a number of you who have been kind of messaging us asking more about you know what's going on with Web three. What are your thoughts on Web three? And Fuad and I maybe Fuad can speak for himself, but I'm not. By, by no means an expert in this space. So um, I reached out to someone that I had uh, the pleasure of speaking with recently, of course, Florcy through um, the On Deck Fellowship. And, you know, I just loved your energy. You brought like your whole self to the conversation. Um, It was incredible. I felt just like, you know, I was just buzzing after the conversation. So I was like, you know, I know this is the perfect person to bring on to speak more about um, some of this Web3 stuff. And, you know, as Fwad mentioned in your intro, we're going to dive into a bit more of the uh, parts of your background um, such as angel investing and, and Fwad's very interested in the NBA and M, MBA, not NBA, MBA stuff. So I want to just go ahead and start by setting some definitions first. So, okay. you know, we talk about Web3 all the time and everyone's hearing about Web3, but to contextualize it first, what is, how does Web3 differ from Web1 and Web2? Okay. So Web1 and Web2. So let me give like a de facto, um, you know, caveat. So I'm not technical, right? But I love technology and I love what technology represents and the power that it has to make things easier for us. Um, And I'm a human-centered design. So whenever I'm defining um, terms or approaching Web3, NFT, the metaverse, I'm taking a layman's approach. I'm centering the user, right? And the user needs and specifically looking at how solution the solution can solve their pain points. So I just want to put that out there because people are like, oh, she's very different, and but they can't put their finger on why. And it's because I take a very different approach to really talking um, about Web3 in my approach. So with that said, <laughs> Web1 to me is, you know, Web1, Web2, Web3. So there's a simple analogy, but I want to dissect it. The simple analogy is Web1 was you know, read only. That was when corporations would put out big documents on the supercomputer that would take up this whole size of the room and you could just read the document. That's it. Um, That was early 1990s. And then Web 2 emerged. So not only could you read, you could write. What could you write? You could write information. That was the introduction of chat, uh, websites, e-commerce, and social media. That was an opportunity where now it wasn't just corporates that was corporate companies participating. Now you have users actually actually being a part of generating the content. So it became from less of a static page, right? That didn't move, that was just information. Now to like dynamic, collaborative, it's interactive. 
everyone is making the internet what it is today. We're still in today, right? And um, what we're thinking and hoping for is tomorrow. Tomorrow will be Web3. We're not there yet. But Web3 is where you can now own your data. Now you can read, you can write, and you can own it. And there's a lot of attributes that really define what Web3 is. But the reality is Web1 is just iterations of what the internet is and how we move information, who owns it, and who is able to monetize it. And what I'm excited about Web3 is the fact that we, the people, get to be a part of what Web3 is and we get to own our data, our content, and monetize it. The web right now, the internet is super busy, super noisy, and it gets to get mm -hmm. organized and smarter. So I'll stop there. Yeah, that, that was a really good introduction. I've never heard it so simply said. Um, I guess sort of a follow-up on that. Yeah, you absolutely nailed it. Sort of a follow-up on that. Why is that concept of ownership like so important, so revolutionary in Web3? And then uh, continuing on, what's your personal story of like getting involved in Web3 and like driving forward that like ownership aspect? Okay, so I'll, I like to tell stories as well. So second caveat of who I am, I talk to stories. <laughs> if you remember the stories, I can define things all day, but if I don't give you a story, you will not, it will not stick and you're mm -hmm. not going to be able to really understand what the application is, right? And so for me, um, you know, your question is, you know, why is it important for Web3 and ownership, right? So you think about artists, right, that creates artwork and they sell it, but then it goes into the secondary market. There was a recent artist, I forget, oh, we'll go the most famous artist, Basquiat. Basquiat, when he died, his work started to sell for millions of dollars. It, it didn't, when he was younger, it wasn't. He was a, you know, very short-lived artist life, but his work at the height of his career was selling for a million dollars. He sold it, he made that money, fine. When he passed away, his family had no opportunity to seize the secondary market. So the reselling of that, um, being able to track where his art went, being able to understand who owns his art. And what Web3 is saying right now, I own my content and I put like a tag or a chip on it so that wherever it goes, I know and my family knows where my art is in the world, who owns it, how much are people paying for it. Um, and that just helps with fraud and scam and just legacy and royalty. So that's one example. Another modern day example is thinking about Facebook. So imagine if you are on Facebook and you are you make your money creating content and Facebook goes down for a day, which it did. There were so many people that could not monetize, communicate with their network, communicate with their customers. And that's like saying like, wow, that's a lot of power for one company to have against small business owners. And look at how they're shifting always their analytics, um, their, their features and functions and how you're able to really talk about your product and get seen, right? You don't want to be under their thumb. You want to be able to drive the direction of your strategy and not being, um, you know, under the pressure of having someone else own your strategy. When you post on Facebook, they own your, they own your content. Um, and they can do what, it, what they will and please. And that's how you see people being able to make songs and things of that nature. But imagine that the artist is not getting paid for any of that. They're getting paid pennies where you can get paid 100% of that. I can go into more detail, but I think that's what is more important is being able to say, I don't need a middleman in between me and my customer to do business. And not everyone wants to do B to, you know, uh, be a B2C company, you know, dealing directly with the customer. But I think that there's, as we know in today's society and the direction that the world is going into, we need community and you want to know who your customers. So the second part of your question was, what led me to Web3? And what I say is like, why Web3 for me is specifically around my Bitcoin story. Everyone has a Bitcoin story. No matter how old you are, we have a Bitcoin story. And mine was, I was working at Dell Technologies. I was making low six figures. I was in Boston struggling. And so I decided that I wanted to um, drive Uber on the side. And I was a weekend warrior because I was going to go to a carnival. The trip was like $10,000. I needed to make quick, fast, fast money. I call myself a weekend warrior on the weekend. <laughs> so um, 
so I'm driving one day, this customer, and, you know, we start talking about tech. And of course, at the day, you know, I'm smart, right? And I'm like personable. So we're talking about technology. He said, oh, have you invested in Bitcoin? I'm losing my shirt. At the time, Bitcoin was $400 for one Bitcoin. $400. As a black woman, I was 37, 37 at the time. Don't ask me how old I am now. (laughs) Um, We'll get some price charts after. (laughs) I know, right? You'll figure it out. You know, at the time, and I didn't even know where to go buy Bitcoin. Even if I had, even if I could have afforded it at the time, because I was trying to save to go do this trip. I didn't even know how to buy it. And mind you, I'm an educated person in terms of having an MBA, having working in tech. I didn't even know the application. I didn't know where to, where do you buy it? How do you buy it? You know, what do you do with it? And so that for me is like why I think this is important because we know that history repeats itself. You think about web one and web two, the internet. Mm. But a lot of people got rich then and they didn't look like us in the room, unfortunately. They weren't young, they weren't diverse, they it wasn't an inclusive market. And the people that came out on the other side of that became millionaires. And so to me, I'm seeing another um, part of history of repeating itself. And I think this is an opportunity that we all could play and be a part of this and do business the right way with humanity in mind. Amen to that. Yeah, no, it's, I don't know, it is insane. And to kind of offer a parallel at the end or like towards the end of like the, the dot-com um uh, crash there were a lot of people that were incredibly bearish with the entire internet technology space right and so many of them lost out on what was the biggest economic boom to follow um you know like with social media um being able to leverage these social channels to be able to offer new monetization schemes and and whatnot and i i don't know maybe that's what's happening now um because everyone you know there are all of these uh like content creators or what's the i'm just gonna like content creators like around the space right everyone's like oh buy bitcoin buy ethereum like buy all these things nfts are the next big thing and now i'm seeing videos like i'm broke i don't have any more cash i put everything that i had into this now the entire market is in a downturn and so they have nothing left so you know maybe people, people are getting ptsd from this and it's making them a lot less willing to stick to their guns um because we don't know how long this this waiting game is going to be um now i just want to kind of start dissecting a bit of the ethos and ideas behind web3 to kind of better understand what it is and whether or not to play the long game here um so like the first thing i want to ask is you know decentralization that seems to be like the biggest buzzword when it comes to web3 decentralization but i want to ask like is centralization such a bad thing um, because like the way that it's spoken about in this web three landscape, it seems to be a binary thing. Um, the way they look at it, it's either centralized or it's not decentralization is either good or it's bad, or I should say centralization is either good or it's bad, but the way I look at it, it should be more of like a spectrum, right? It's nice that Google, for example, centralizes all my search results. Um, another example I heard relatively recently, it's, it's nice having, you know, your trash collection system in a centralized way. You know, imagine if we had to all figure that out for ourselves, that's going to be a huge headache. So in the same way, and, you know, even tying it to what you were saying, you know, it's kind of confusing when you're trying to figure out how everything works in this space. So to kind of bring it back into my original question, like, is centralization such a bad thing? Um, so I come from a small, my family's from a small island in Haiti. And um, there's two examples of why decentralization or centralization can be limiting mm. and the opportunity that decentralization offers. Um, so in my country, all business is done traditionally in Port-au-Prince in the capital. If you need to get your passport, you have to go to the capital. You may have to travel four to five days just to get there. Um, mm-hmm. depending on how you're going or three days, then you have to have money to spend the night and take care of that business. But imagine being able to say, I can go to the north, to the south, or the east or west, and there are offices there or in my locale where it's like an hour travel and I can go take care of that business. Um, similarly, a more modern understanding of that is that 
the internet has been built. It was, you know, it's been built since 1990s. And the people that have been profiting have been the folks that have built it for us, which are the big companies, the, you know, the infrastructure companies, the Googles, ad tech companies. And, you know, yes, you built the internet for us. Thank you. We appreciate it. But you've taken all the great things out of it and has become a place to play to play. And if you do not have money to do ads, to understand how the algorithm works, to understand, like, like I said, going on Facebook and being able to outsmart these tools and this technology, you're not going to win against the machine, sort of say. Mm-hmm. Another example of thinking about that and really more so when we start to think about even like decentralization of finance, banking, you know, why does the bank have hold all of our money, we get 0.05%, but they're making more percentage on our money. That is the con of centralization. They, and, and not to say that I'm this very leftist and you know liberal, because I do believe that regulation needs to be in place, but there needs to be a way that we're all making money in this and that we're all winning together. It's thinking about how do we make the pie bigger? And so some of the things that I'm excited about is seeing how we can eliminate this no value adding middleman, right? Like, why do I need a bank or go into a physical bank if I'm going to have to stand online, it takes forever, and I can bank online and potentially get more interest? Or, you know, you don't have to send me a paper um, uh, paper receipt or whatever bill or whatever that maybe I'm sorry, I'm blanking on the, the exact terminology there. So then there's a decrease, right? Like that's thinking about, you know, decentralization in a modern sense of like, hey, we all share this, the cost savings and we all can build what it is the world that we want to see. And so I don't necessarily think to your point, centralization is also terrible. We don't, like you said, want to ma- manage our, our garbage. But in some of those examples, you could see like when we're thinking about infrastructure and building it so that it's safe, so that it's equitable for everyone to play and monetize and win in, I think we see that there is clear opportunities there. Mm-hmm. And then I guess my follow-up question would be, is Web3 truly decentralized in that way? And like, there's a couple different, um, a couple different points. I guess I want to use to underline that. So there's, I, I can't remember where I was reading this from. I'll, I'll cite my my source afterwards. But um, I want to quote something from an article I was reading. Looking beyond the platforms, we see that the top nine nine percent of accounts hold eighty percent of the forty one billion market value of N- NFTs. So that's nine percent owning eighty percent, and then. Um, on the Ethereum blockchain, Bitcoin is even more centralized. The top 2% of accounts own 72% of the $800 billion supply of Bitcoin. And 0.1% of Bitcoin miners are responsible for half of all mining output. And, you know, like there's also the example of, for example, OpenSea and Coinbase, you know, like if um, as a commercial investor, you want to get easy ways into it, then these organizations are what you have to go to. Uh, go through. So again, in that way, there's this kind of centralizing force that acts as kind of like a middleman between everything. So, you know, like it's, it, it isn't like when considering the number of whales, these centralizing entities, doesn't this seem like just a remix of web two? Yeah. <laughs> I was going <laughs> to say like, what if it, you know, how much it's less than 1% that owns like 80% of the wealth in the world, right? Or mm. even the US. Yeah. So, but it may be different in terms of Web3 millionaires and billionaires and, you know, Web2. Um, however, yeah, I think right now there is a, there's an opportunity to say, you know, how do we get more people involved? Um, we know one thing right now is that it is, it, we are at the beginning. It's a lot of innovators and early adopters that are playing. So if you look at the product life cycle, right, it's like maybe 10% of us that are in this space right now. Mm-hmm. And it literally is the people that have the money to play. Those are the early adopters. And then the technologists, the people that know, can build this. And that is all who is here. It is a very small group of people that are playing in this space right now. 
And my goal and my personal desire is to say, how do I get more women, more people of color, and more creatives in the space? Because that is who's going to redefine and revolutionize what the space can be. I said it earlier that history has a way of repeating itself. If we do not center the users and allow them to be a part of the solution, agile mindset, right? Mm -hmm. How can we how can we redefine the end result? How can we really truly innovate? And I think this is an important time for us all to, you know, put on our hats, like our reading glasses, and just start unpacking this. You know, you're Gen Z, there's people are focusing on alpha, gen alpha that's coming out next. They're like, let's skip it. We're we're forget, forget every the millennials. The millennials are done, right? Like everyone's <laughs> about gen, gen alpha right now right but we do not want and i want to tell this to my peers you don't want to be like your your parents or your grandparents that did not know how to turn on and use an email mm-hmm. like that is what's going to happen if you don't start ex- giving yourself a bit of exposure into what web3 is and start wrapping your head around it the answer cannot be it's too difficult mm-hmm. the internet was difficult email was difficult chat was difficult my space was difficult. We all figured it out and we yeah. will figure Web3 out, but you got to kind of put that time in and just start educating yourself and being and being exposed to it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love the education space uh, piece and like just exposing more people to the concept of Web3, I think is really, really powerful. And we have a unique opportunity to that with this new kind of like admin of it. Um, I think there was also like a stat I was reading in a, in a Bloomberg business article where um, Actually, Web3 in terms of like POC has a lot more participation than stuff like Web2, right? Um, but one thing I wanted to highlight is like based on the stats that Damien has mentioned about like the 9% holding 80% of the market value, what about Web3 lends itself to kind of solving this? Like why is it time for Web3 and why not move the needle on that Web2 aspect? Like is there something about Web3 in particular that allows that kind of like uphill battle to go a little bit easier because it looks like, you know, we are early in the, you know, product adoption curve, but we've kind of run into the same problems, right? It's like a mostly male, mostly white dominated industry, uh, you know, mostly educated, mostly people have already had money. So they're able to spend it, you know, on, on things like Bitcoin. So like, why is moving the needle going to be easier in web three than it was in web two? It sounds like we're just starting the same thing over again. So there's two parts of that. And I'm hoping I wanted to write myself a note, but I don't know if my pen is working. Um, so, you know, there's two parts, you know, why does Web3 have more legs to run in terms of like, you know, dismantling some of the systematic errors that we've made? Like, that's a great question, but why do we say give up on Web2? So from, um, I'm a, I do change management and from a change management, so I'll start from Web2 and then I'll shift to Web3. Please remind me of what the second part of my, that question. Um, so, you know, Web2 from that perspective, it's like, why are some folks wanting to abandon Web2 and say, listen, let's go all head in for Web3? It's only an evolution. We're not abandoning completely. But the issues that happen in Web2, Web1, and even before the internet, right, are institutionally driven. They're systematic. Individuals don't per se have, they can chip at it, but to really be able to do transformational change it takes top-down leadership, right? State, state heads, you know, financial resources, corporate, um, you know, policy. It takes a lot of money and resources to make the changes that we don't, we need and we would like to see to happen. And so from an individual, you know, I think that's one of the things that I didn't say, you know, first to first, when you talk about web one and web two, web one was corporate, web two was, you know, community. Web three is like more individual and community, but it's like, hey, I have a role to play and I want to change that. And when we think about, so transitioning to, your, to the second part of the question, why Web3? Why, why do we believe and we're so bullish that we can change some of the things that happen in Web2 using Web3? One thing we know for certain, what we see on Web3 and all of this is media, it's content. It's video, it's pictures, it's family. And we know so many countries and leaders that own and create propaganda 
I like, I'm sorry to go this far with it, but Cuba, you don't have internet in Cuba, North Korea and places in China, like you don't have access. And then you think about the people that are, that don't even just have access to internet, right? And saying that this, you won't have to pay for this. You can get on freely, right? But that's where we're trying to go to and get all of this information. But we know that media and content and culture, that's driven by people. That's not corporations. And if we can get it on the ground level and get millions of people really being able to own their content, talk about it, not being this, you know, pay to play and the ones that have the most amount of money are the ones that you see or the top 10 and SEO, and you're not engineering that narrative. I think that there's an opportunity to really shift it. The reality is, you know, a, a lot of this is going to be a mindset. I don't know what it's going to look like. We're not, we're, we're, we're on our way to Web3. We're talking about it. NFTs are the entry gateway. I won't say gateway drug. <laughs> it is the gateway drug to <laughs> Similarly, chat was the gateway drug. And then chat became a feature that was embedded into every technology. People do not buy NFTs unless you're buying blue chip NFTs because they're going to eventually become free. NFTs are going to be embedded into every piece of thing that you buy from your clothes. It'll be a receipt, a tag. You probably have chips in you. All NFTs are literally is an image with metadata or a video or music. It's just data that is recorded and documented on the blockchain to be off chain, but it's just documented information. And that after a while, you know, cost right? The cost to create it will get easier and easier and it's going to be free. So this idea that NFTs are going to be the thing, everyone's going to implement NFTs into their business strategy. So that's not necessarily the win, but with the infrastructure that we're going to build in terms of the internet, we have ideas of what it would look like, but we don't know what it is. We're not there yet. We have about mm -hmm. like five more years and we're racing to get there. And there, I mean, there are corporations that are in the, in the industry that are trying to like fix it. And there are new startups and companies that are building as well. And so mm -hmm. it's just a really exciting time. Mm -hmm. And I was like, as I was watching that whole explosion of NFTs, it, it really confused me, right? Because like conceptually, I understand. I'm confused that, too. Yeah. No, I'm <laughs> conceptually, I understand the value prop behind it in terms of, you know, supporting the creator. And I love that aspect of it. Like, do not get me wrong. And uh, there was a um, Andreessen Horowitz report that came out, I think a couple of days ago. Um, I think like they were, uh, they've received enough messages or, you know, seeing how bearish the market has become, everyone's panicking. So they had to put something up. Uh, but seeing the figures behind the revenue generated for creators through NFT relative to other conventional channels, like through Spotify or YouTube, it just like, blows everything out of the water. Now, like you said, NFTs are just, pictures with metadata why are these pictures with metadata going for like millions and millions of dollars and that's one thing that i didn't like about nfts is that it felt like a lot of this web3 craze was fueled by this either by a greed or b this greater greater fools theory right like a lot of people are buying nfts for absurd amounts of money only because they believe that somebody would be dumb enough to buy it from them for an even greater sum of money. And that's something that it, it didn't seem true to this utopian vision that yeah. Web3 was kind of painting. Um, so let me use that as a bit of a segue. If you want to kind of touch on that in your answer, by all means. But I want to use that as a bit of a segue to ask you, like, how are you kind of thinking about how bearish this market has become, considering, you know, how hype and crazy and just this absolute pan, pan, like this pandemonium around it. I know. I love the pandemonium. I'm like, it's not a pandemic, it's a pandemonium. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I want to go back to, um, you know, A16Z, right? Like, Andreessen, like, yeah, he put a response to it, but he also put a crypto fund to it. Mm. I think he just released yesterday or today. It's like, I was trying to Google it to, or try, I saw the, the, the headlines. I think it's $450 million okay. that was he raised a crypto fund. And everyone's like why in this bearish market yeah 4.5 billion apparently how much so, was it 4.5 billion billion i knew it was a four Which i knew insane. it was a four yeah 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 
billion dollars. So that's the answer. Next question, please. <laughs> Here we go. Another I mean, answer. But I mean, that's 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 it. Like history does not lie. I'm so sorry. I wish I had more data, and I and, and maybe I'll write these questions are great, and I got to to see to hear them now, and I wish I could have more data to mm-hmm. to, to to show you. But we looked at some of the top companies that came out of like the internet first, like Apple. There were like I, I actually posted it on LinkedIn. I, I have a, just a terrible memory, but you know there were so many companies that are still here today that came out of the internet bubble when it when it went into a bearish market and it, the bubble popped. Right, this is a time that the 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 the, the, the playing field is cleared out. The people that are the rug pulls, the scammers, the cash grabbers, the people that you know really didn't have good intentions or don't have the rigor to be an entrepreneur or a founder or a creator or a builder. Mm-hmm. This is the time that they're leaving. And we're like, yeah, go, please get out the way. Cause I got shit to do. You know, I got work to do. And so now we're seeing, and like, and it's unfortunate because I think that there's a piece of the puzzle that you talked about. Where's the retail side? There's retail and there's investors, mm-hmm. but retailers were like investors were hit bad by this recent downturn of the market. And I and I and you were talking earlier. I was like, I hope we get back to this. I want to give everyone a virtual hug and tell them that money comes and money goes, and it sucks. It's painful. I needed that. But I promise you, like. It's a rodeo. It comes, it comes and it goes. It comes and it goes. And the reality is the thing that, mo- that is most important is your mindset, your spiritual energy, because you can do it again. You mm. can rebuild it. You can save summertime. We outside and you can go have some free fun and save and come in the fall when the market turns back around. Maybe you can start reinvesting again. So mm. I just want to say that to the people that are that has lost money because there have been a lot of people that lost money. So I don't want to, to ignore that. But for the innovators and startups and people that have ideas that want to create, this is the time to do it. Now it's not going to be noisy. It's not going to be noisy. And in the summertime, people are going to be out playing on boats, on in the vineyard, you know, in Puerto Rico. They're just going to be playing. And the builders are going to be building. And this mm-hmm. is a prime time. And that's why people are still investing. People are still bullish on the institutional side in terms of the innovation. Mm. NFTs in itself, like I said, it was a small piece of what Web3 is. You know, think about it as levels, right? You have what NFTs, which are your characters that you can take into the metaverse, which are the environments, but the infrastructure layer, right? Like you're going deeper, is Web3. And we're still building that. And that's where a lot of the money is going to be played, the activation and application where users will be able to interact, like the UX. That will be in the metaverse. That's that that that's the web three. Um, that's the internet. Um, not the internets, but the websites. Mm. That people that are going to be immersive. That's going to be the immersive technology. The headsets. Those are going to be the entryways where people are going to make a lot of money. But we've got to lay the foundation for how all of this works on the back end in terms of um, organizing this data and all of this infra- infrastructure and everyone having their own, you know, website metaverse like a space mm-hmm. this is kind of like the great filter right now exactly okay yeah i don't know I, um I'm gonna... I want everyone like oh, i know you said you have a really young dynamic audience they're mbas they're probably you know science mathematics whatever um and people that are in finance and things of that nature this is the time to build this is not the time to run away pause pivot Take what's valuable, take the lessons and pivot and continue forward. Find a way to do the 80 20 Pareto's effect, right? And push forward the value. I know it sounds very theoretical, but I'm a serial entrepreneur. I started my career as an art gallery owner. I was like, I don't know how I'm going to take this art gallery, brick and mortar. You know, I was 26 when I started my business. I started backwards and I took that and I said, I'm missing pieces here. And I, and I went to business school. And I got a dual master's, I did that. And I pivoted and flipped it on its head. I said, I'm not going back to that world because I saw what was broken there. And so I decided to take my creativity into the tech. So do not be afraid to do that. So I worked at Dell, I worked at Netflix, 
And then I saw what was broken there and now I'm in web three. So I'm taking all of the things that were broken and all of the mistakes and all of the lessons learned and I'm literally layering it up, right? And scaling it to have bigger impact and change, right? And we're going to continue to move forward and we just gotta put one foot in front of the other and just be keeping so that at some point when you look back, you're gonna be like, oh, I moved like a whole 20 paces. Right, where people just stopped, but you'll be 20 paces ahead because you just kept moving. Love it. The idea of the great filter, the idea that you know people are off playing right now in the bear market, what it's essentially done is kind of cleanse it, right? We have a clean slate, and now it's the people without the bad intentions, the people who believed in the technology behind Web3, who actually wanted to use it to make a difference, and they're going ahead and making that difference that they want to see. And I think you're the perfect example of that with Spooky Fresh. So I think it's a great idea to kind of, and I, I want to talk about the NBA too. You kind of gave me a layup there and I really want to take it. But before <laughs> I take that layout, let me pause, let me pivot. Let me finish off this segment and then we'll ask about the NBA. But tell us about Spooky Fresh and why you decided that now was the time to take that passion project, go full-time into it and like really, really push for that. Yeah. So it's interesting. I moved out to California to do product innovation for Netflix. Um, that opportunity came to an end. And I had the opportunity to take a bit of a sabbatical and figure out what it is that I did want to do. And I spent a lot of time researching the Web3 space, what wasn't working, and saying, how do I become a value add to the industry? And uh, my co-founders and I, we started with Spooky Fresh, which was a social impact NFT. It was supposed to be a co-creator tool. And we were bootstrapping it. We didn't know what we needed to know. Um, we actually had a lot of success early on. Um, and even at the end of it, even though I feel like it's sunsetting a bit, um, and I don't know if I want that on market or not, but we'll leave it there for now. Um, <laughs> the two of my team members actually got into get roles with two big companies and they're scaling and taking what they've learned with Spooky Fresh and across their career and they're helping work, work with bigger brands. I too decided that I wanted to continue forward in this space and stay here, even though you know we have a hundred collectors behind us, maybe we can go learn some more and then come back to the project. And that's kind of where we're really at. Um, in the interim, I decided that I wanna work and continue studying and being a student in the space. And so mm -hmm. I'm writing an ebook um, that I'm gonna be releasing soon. I'm awesome. Speaking on platforms such as this amazing podcast, <laughs> um, helping educate people and talk about Web3. I am also going to be creating my own small NFT collection. And so I just want to continue to stay in the space and just keep creating and building. And so I just encourage people to, um, you know, the, the same advice I just gave you all just 30 seconds ago, I'm taking that advice even with Spooky Fresh to continue to evolve forward. I love the I love the humility there and like just the self-awareness, like understanding what your project is, understanding what you can take out of it, and then you know, pivoting constantly. You did that with the art gallery stuff, you did that with your MBA, you did that with uh, you know, spooky fresh with Netflix. Like I think it's such an important tool and it's so underrated. We talk about it on the podcast a lot, but just self-reflection, self-awareness is more powerful than anything else, right? Like 10 minutes of sitting down alone with your thoughts in a journal will do more for you than you know. 20 hours like practicing your coding skills right like if you don't understand where you're going what you've learned and where you want to go next that's all useless right and so yeah a big part of that pivot was your mba and i'm actually going through like something similar right now where you know i i'm like a technologist by training i did my undergrad in electrical engineering i've, I've worked at a few big companies in tech and uh in my last year of school actually i applied for columbia's deferred mba program because i wanted to see you know kind of what else was out there and so they gave me like two to five years to defer the acceptance. And I'm kind of like at this like crossroads point where I'm like, I like engineering, I like coding, but there's other things I want to be doing with my life. I think, you know, there's a number of skills I want to uh, showcase that I don't really get to do, you know, just coding alone in my room and like attending Zoom meetings and things like that. And so I want to hear a little bit about why you decided to do your MBA when you did. And you mentioned that, you know, you saw it was broken, you did your MBA and you decided not to go back. You pivoted into technology. So I want to understand a little bit more about that pivot process too. Like what about your MBA? First off, why did you do your MBA? And then what about the MBA kind of gave you the confidence and the experiences you needed to identify your next pivot? Yeah, that's a really long answer. And I'm going to try to do it as fast as possible. Um, I'll, but I'll give you the answer first. The answer is you have to be multidisciplinary and everything in innovation is at the intersection. 
Mm -hmm. It is going to be business and technology. It's going to be engineering and um, user design. There's the innovation happens at the intersection. It's not one function. So that is the answer. And so what made me decide to get an MBA started as, you know, I was a 26 year old business owner and entrepreneur, social entrepreneur before I even knew what that meant, right? Traveling the world, buying art, bringing it back to the US and reselling it. And I was trying to, and I kept failing on creating a website where I could have conversion and sales and it was just not working. I was like, well, I didn't have a business degree and I didn't have an art degree. I had really good gut instinct and really great business like relationships and acumen. And that was what allowed me to sell a million dollars in seven years. The business does exist online, still not making money. That's another story for another day. But I decided that I wanted to figure out how do I recreate and, and figure out what is the equation and, and get the, the vernacular around business, right? And so I decided to get an MBA, but I got a dual master's degree. So I applied to only one university. I, I, I'm a graduate of Johns Hopkins University and Maryland Institute College of Art. And I did a dual master's in human-centered design as well, which is design thinking, um, and my MBA. And that was the idea that I wanted to be able to take business and, and just make it, how do I make it more to monetize? But then how do I take information and explain it in a very simple way? And that was me thinking about art and art was a medium. And I wanted to be able to explain art in a different language to people. And what I realized was what I got out of getting an MBA, and I didn't know it at the time, I, this was Hopkins old tagline was, business with humanity in mind. And that was this whole idea that I was going to be able to say that these things are combined. It's art and technology. I call myself a hybrid thinker. You know, I'm very science and I'm very creative and very pragmatic, but very open-minded at the same time. But I'm able to be able to distill this information and reposition it out. And so that was the reason why that's what I got out of it. I was able to understand the science and the art of what I was doing. And I decided to go into big tech after I graduated. And it was the best decision ever. I embraced the thing that was about to disrupt me, the thing that was the pee in my bed, like the, the little rock under my shoe that I was just like, I don't understand this. How do I figure technology out? And I decided to go into the industry and I worked on pull sales and doing strategic initiatives, but it was that exposure you know, put, getting myself aware of technology and it was the best decision ever. It opened my eyes. I thought I was going to go back into, um, you know, the arts world. And I decided to go into technology after I realized the cost of an MBA. I was like, it's just way too expensive. I cannot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not excited for that portion of it, for sure. The, the tuition fees, yeah. Hopefully oh. Biden will be kind to us. There was a second part of the end of your question. I want to make sure I got to that. There was like three parts. I don't know if I got to the last part of your question. Yeah, I think it was. So first off, like, why did you decide to do your MBA? And then two, like, what did you learn about in your MBA that allowed you to make that pivot successful? Like, like what specifically was it that you were like, okay, I mean, other than tuition costs, of course, that's, that's a big factor, but where it's like, you know, I've taken this experience and now I understand that maybe arts wasn't where I wanted to go, but with these new skills, like here's where I want to go, like tech, yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think I was using art as a medium to change, right, and create. Mm -hmm. So the reason why I opened my art gallery, I'm Haitian, you know, first generation here, and I was using art to educate people, and it was a tool, it was a medium, mm -hmm. and my new medium at the business school was technology, and it's still to this day. While I'm not a technologist, I do feel like technology is the medium for change and the, the way that you can amplify and do things that allow for easier productivity, can make our lives easier, think better, you know, redefine things in a way that we've never thought that they could be, um, they, they could exist. Um, mm -hmm. That is what excites me, the product innovation piece of the puzzle. And I wanted to be a part of that change. I didn't want to be a consumer anymore. I wanted to be one of the folks that were actually creating it. Mm -hmm. I love that. that was, yeah, that was it for me. I love that. And I love the emphasis on the art. Um, there's this push recently kind of movement to expand STEM to include the arts, change that from STEM to STEAM, right? And I know like some people are probably conflicted on it, like, oh, like, do we really need to add arts in there into this more rigorous technical scope of work? But 
it does not have to be a mutually exclusive thing by any means. And like, I truly believe that by incorporating more of this creative kind of like art-based way of thinking into the more rigorous, like technically minded um, field of work that is like the rest of these STEM fields, I think we would actually elevate the capacity and capabilities of what we can do there, like in its own right. Them, like each of these individual fields, like they are an art form in and of themselves. By giving yourself a new toolkit, a new language, these new like toys to play with, you can only you know enhance the ability of the work they're able to do. And kind of like one of the points that you were touching on is that by having that background, it allowed you to be a better communicator, right? Because you know one form of art, storytelling, something you're incredibly good at, that has become abundantly clear. It just makes it more inclusive if you're able to communicate that better. If it's more inclusive, you get to bring everyone along on the journey with you into this Web3 fantasy. So I, I love that you highlighted that. Um, and I hope that you know your experience adds kind of more of that dimension to what I'm saying here. Yeah. Now, we are getting- Can I, can I oh, say this before you go to the next question? For sure, for sure, for sure. You said something that was really interesting. So I'm gonna mind blown you. Throw the mind blown emoji <laughs> in here right now. Um, yes, ma'am. Very <laughs> quick. So one, STEAM was the original acronym from the beginning. So it was really? always science, technology, engineering, arts, and mathematics, and they took out arts. I told you. Geek. <laughs> I actually had no idea. They're trying yeah. to bring it back, and so they made it into STEM, and they're trying to bring it back. So that's one. Number two, Google. And anyone that can Google, find me on LinkedIn. I'll give you an NFT. The first person that can Google, like Google it. What is the percentage of engineers that are actually musicians? The first person that sends it that DMs me. What percentage of engineers are musicians? Also, if I, will, on it. I will. I will send them. We're gonna write out. You gotta DM me on LinkedIn. You gotta, like, you gotta become a friend and DM me on LinkedIn. And that's the reality. I will tell the number, but that is the quiz. Okay, I googled it, but I will not tell the number in the interest of, of our listeners getting a chance of this because I'm kind of cheating, you know. But. <laughs> but aren't you surprised? Yeah, incredibly surprised. Incredibly surprised. That's way higher than I thought. Yeah. All right, what was your question, Damien? Uh, <laughs> like, I want to know the answer too. I got to go Google this now. It's like, damn, I've left out. Uh, but I will Google it after. Uh, and I was just going to say, you know, in the interest of time, we have um, a couple minutes left. Um, so again, to be respectful of your time, we do have our this one favorite final question. It's become a tradition on our podcast to ask it of all our guests. And um, I, I didn't include it in that list of questions I sent to you for a reason, because we want to get this authentic, genuine response, right? So, Fad, your voice sounds a lot better when you say it. So I, I want to hear it from you. I'm so flattered. I'm, I'm blushing, but <laughs> all right. I got to do it. I got to do it. The baton was handed to me. So if you could put any one message on a billboard that would reach millions or even billions of people, what message would you put on that billboard and why? And you can stratify this according to any audience you want, or you could just make it more general. Like everybody in the world drives past this billboard every day on their way to work. What do you want on that billboard? I think it's been the theme of, oh my God, this is such an emotional question. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I felt like emotion coming in, but the theme of the conversation that I've been having today and the message that I would want to resonate is to keep going, keep Mm. going. And I know that there's been a lot that's happening. You know, this recording will be recorded a week from today. And there was just tragedy that happened in Texas and that's happening around us. The market is upside down and sideways on a lot of people, you know, NFTs, people are not getting hired and getting laid off. Just keep moving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know there's a ton of people that need to hear that. Um, to On a more lighthearted note, maybe not lighthearted for me, man, my crypto portfolio hurting so bad right now. No, that's Everything's life. on sale, like, bro. Yeah. That's how I look at it. Yeah. <laughs> Money comes and it goes. You know what? Like I did see somebody was buying like virtual land in the metaverse already. Ooh. So I can't wait to not be able to afford a house in the metaverse in the future. You know? Oh my gosh. I can't afford a house now. I want, I want land. I do want land. And I think right now, what is it? Outsider, which is Yuga Labs, Ford Yacht Club. Like if you could, if you guys, if you guys want to pull in, we get maybe two more people. 
we should buy some land together. I just can't afford it right now, but I'm serious. Because you want to go, and we didn't go into like, I don't, for everyone, do your own research, D-Y-O-R. But um, right now, that is what's going to be important, right? Like there's, it's only a certain amount of land that's available, mm-hmm. right? Like on Facebook, there's so many pages that could be exist, that can exist. What makes metaverses, you know, very lucrative is that there's only a certain amount of plot, plotted land. And there's some like Axie doesn't have any more, or not Axie, uh, there's Roblox doesn't have any more. And there's a couple other ones. There's no more land that exists. Idea of scarcity, yeah. Yeah, so there's no more land. And right now, other side is actually very affordable. And they have, that's a blue chip land. Like if you could just, if, if, if anyone wants to make an investment, don't buy an NFT, buy land in the metaverse. You can rent out the space, you can build on it. 10 years from now, think a long-term perspective. That is something that will hold its value. Man, I think you need to start a re, like a real estate investment trust for the metaverse. I'd invest in that. Yeah, we should do it a DAO or something along those lines. And then we can rent out the space for good projects. Like, hey, you, you won for the week. Yeah. Let's do it. Sounds That's like a plan. Cool idea. I love yeah. ending podcasts on uh, on a high note where we're you know brainstorming ideas. We've got to start up idea in mind. So um, look out for that you know, maybe in a couple of years, who knows, we'll see. They'll yeah. let a day one day, but Florcy, it has been an absolute pleasure. Um, Fod was messaging me while we were talking like, damn, this girl's so well-spoken. <laughs> so I asked her on, um, with the last, like maybe 15 seconds, is there anything you would like to promote or where can people reach you if they'd like to yeah. find you? Got that ebook coming out. Got the yeah, ebook, I got coming, e-book out. coming out. I have a free glossary that I'm creating. I might do the book free for a little bit. Um, I just want people to connect with me. I want to learn about what you're doing. Um, that's the axe right now. Reach out to me, collect, connect with me on my various platforms. I'm crypto flossing on Twitter and IG. And then on LinkedIn is where I do all my business. Um, come follow me. Come be a part of my network. I want to be a part of your network. I want to see how I can add value to your community and what you're trying to solve in the world. That's my ask. Beautiful. And we will add those in the description. So till next time, like Forsy said, just keep going, guys. You got it. Yes. Thank you so much. This is amazing. If you liked the episode, follow us on Spotify and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Our website was built by Face Solutions, logo designed by Charmeni, and music by Wonderly Music. Thank you for listening. Think you got it? Nah, we're on the next iteration. <laughs> <laughs>